The World Cup is here, and what a first week it has been. Welcome to Doha Diaries. Hello people and welcome back to Two Halves Media and to our World Cup show, The Doha Diaries. I'm joined, as always, by my close friend Osama. Osama, how you been? Yeah, I'm good, man. How are you? And how have you found this first week of the World Cup? Yeah, I've loved it's it. It's genuinely man. been incredible, hasn't it? Yeah, I think I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, and um, guys, for context, we are recording this as the second half of Brazil versus Serbia is kicking off. So... By the end of it, we will have, we will know the result of the Brazil game. But like I said, what an incredible week it has been. A week of amazing performances and a week of shocking upsets. And we will be discussing it all here with you today. We will be going through the statement wins put out by England and Spain, first of all. Um, and then we will come on to the uh, upsets, of course, which include Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia. And, of course, that victory against Germany for Japan. Osama. Yes. Let's start with them Them two kind of standout performances, in my opinion. I think Spain and England really put out a statement in this first match day week uh, in the World Cup, both scoring six and seven goals, uh, respectively. Uh, of course, Spain with the clean sheet as well against Costa Rica. But what were your thoughts in them on the performances and which one stood out the most for you? I think for me, I'll have to stick with Spain. I thought from start to finish, they showed their class throughout, defensively and offensively. I thought they're probably the best looking side in, in terms of the whole tournament. Um, looking back at, I think the team that was picked, uh, it kind of surprised me as to Luis Enrique dropping Rodri to centre back. I thought it was probably one of the best moves he's, he's made because he's got a passing abilities. And he's got someone with the likes of Laporte who's more aggressive and more stuck in with his tackles and he's more of a, the calm, composed sweeper at the back. And then you've got the likes of Busquets in front with... Wait, the, the, were you surprised by, I, I was by, surprised. by that, that defensive setup? That yeah, of course. Like, I knew he loves playing from the back. That's why he's not picked David De Gea as his keeper. And he's gone with Unai Simon. Yeah, but I, I, I thought Rodri would have started in defensive midfield and they would have played the two centre-backs, personally. I thought I thought he'd start him in centre-defensive mid, but I'm surprised that, I think, because he's used to Busquets uh, during his time at Barcelona and he understands how he plays the game, probably reads the game as one of the best centre-defensive midfielders yeah, of that age. A lot of people would have him as the best ever, to be fair, and he, he did kind of redefine the position. At his peak, he's obviously no longer the player that he was. Yeah, but I think a large part of that was down to the relationship that that midfield has that it plays together in club football, and and just kind of just bringing that onto the international stage with him, Gavi, and Pedri. Yeah, for me, that standout in that game, and and he's a player that, in my opinion, is very underrated by a lot of people, and that's Gavi. I just honestly, bro, I don't know whether it's just because like the playing style that I like in midfielders, he has it. But he just has everything. He's got the tenacity. He's got the aggressiveness. But he's also got... He can still play silky. Like he's not as good of a passer as Pedri, of course. But he's he's younger. 
and he's still got a very, very high ability of passing. And I think he's very underrated. And he shone for me in that game. He absolutely yeah. shone. I think both him and Pedri, they give you nostalgia vibes of Xavi and Iniesta. 100%. Bro, I, that's... A, that, yeah, I mean, listen, they're very good. I don't think there's a need to compare, to, compare them to them greats no, yet. I no, mean, I'm not comparing... They're very I'm, different I'm, in the it, way it, they play, even to them. Gavi's more, much more aggressive than any of them. No, 100%, but you need way. that within yeah, a yeah, Spanish team that isn't as aggressive. That, that's as just why I, I just... I don't know about the the comparison. I think the comparison is probably down to the fact that obviously both of them are playing at Barcelona, both are playing at Spanish level. Yeah, and that's age. why I feel I feel like it's a bit of a lazy comparison, do you know what I mean? But, but I think Pedri is more compatible to Xavi than anyone else. I think the way that he passes the ball, he glides past players, he makes it look so easy. I think Gavi is still a working player. Gavi's his own, his own player. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people mocked him after he won the Golden Boy and Listen, yeah, of course, Jude Bellingham's amazing. We'll come on to him, of course, and, and so is uh, Musiala. But listen, <laughs> Gavi's special in his own way, and I think people need to start respecting his game a bit more. Did it surprise you that Spain put up the numbers they did? That, that's what I was literally going to say. I think going into the tournament, they don't really have an out-and-out out number nine where you can actually think he's going to score you this amount of goals throughout the tournament. I think Morata is their go-to number nine, but... I think he's not having the best seasons at Atletico this year. And even in the past couple of years, they've not really had an out-and-out striker. I thought... They just have that, players that can play the position. Yeah. And, like Fernand Torres and so on as well. Yeah. And I think having Luis Enrique as their manager kind of gives them an edge of not having a striker. I That's think the his, big thing. That's the yeah. Big thing. I think he's tactically setting up the game for Spain themselves to go on and win games and not even win them. They dominate the teams with such ease. And it's kind of scary. And that's why... I'd still say that for me, Spain, yeah, was better than England. With we we said it in our preview, of course, that Luis Enrique is the best manager in this tournament. Of course, and I think it did show in that game. And with always opening games, you have to always wait until the second match day to see if this is how the team really is, or if it's just that their opposition was very poor. And you know, potentially Costa Rica could have just been a very very poor opposition for them. So. I think it does depend. I think the next game is now massive. Yeah. Spain versus Germany is massive. Because Germany lose that, they're practically out. Mm. Um, Spain are already practically through, given who has to play who and the fact that they've scored seven goals. Their goal difference is already laughing at the moment. So Spain has suddenly turned into a team to look out for that a lot of people might not have had at the start. Would you have thought after this game this makes Spain favourites for the World Cup? No, not, not favourites. It's too early for me to, to say favourites. One of and the favourites. What I'm saying, it, they're a team to look out for now. Uh, and a lot of people might not not have said that before kind the result. Kind of underrated. Anyway. They would have, yeah. Mm. People would have expected them, like we said even, that, you know, a quarter file maybe at best. But I think with that performance, it's going to turn heads off. Yeah. Uh, a similar performance to that, of course, was, was England. And at the time... A lot of people were saying it's just Iran, it's just Iran. But then when you look at the upsets that are happening elsewhere, when you consider that big teams throughout World Cups previous have sometimes struggled in their first game, England would have loved the fact that they kind of just cruised to a win in their first game. Uh, it's something not a lot of people expected. A lot of people thought that maybe this, you know, it'd be, it'd be a, a game where England would win, but it might not be as straightforward. But 
it was very very straightforward, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people were surprised as to the amount of goals that England scored. I think reason being going into World Cup, they've not won a game for five to six games within the Nations League. And yeah, I think that's where they were kind of hesitant or more worried that England might not be able to score as many goals as they should be against these lower teams. And I think, weirdly enough, the stats say that England's group is theoretically the toughest group due to the fact that most of the teams within the group are higher ranked than yeah, anyone how, else. Yeah, how close they are to each other kind yeah. of thing. There's not a huge disparity between and the teams. And I, I do see that, to be fair. Um, the, the most impressive thing, I want to uh, give a big shout out to Bukayo Saka and Max Rashford after their last game in a major tournament and the abuse that they faced after it to come back in the way that they did in this game, to put it, not just put it behind them, but be uh, one of the major players in an impressive World Cup win. Saka scoring two wonderful goals. Max Rashford coming on and scoring within 43 seconds. Big shout out to both of them for doing that. And, uh, and it shows that in the end of the day, the talent that they have and that they are going to be massive, massive players for England, England going forward for sure. I think, of course, I think uh, you've got to highlight the point that they showed such maturity going into the game. No forward about what happened in the last competitive tournament that they were both in. And I think you, you kind of have to give them credit as well as the players mentally, around yeah, him. Yeah, mentally. Because think about it, Rashford's not been in the England squad for a while. And for him to come in and kind of show the manager, this is what you've been missing or this is what I can, I can show. And he's probably knocking on the door now. I mean, saying, I, I in my opinion, in my opinion, he should be starting ahead of Raheem Sterling. Sterling scored as well a beautiful goal, I should say. But I think, but for me, no, Sterling 100%. has not. Sterling's not had a good season yeah, so exactly. far in comparison to Rashford. And I understand why he starts Sterling because he's his trusted lieutenant. Yeah. Um, but for me, you play me a front three of Harry Kane, Max Rashford, and Bukayo Saka. You have You're every type of attacker that you need in that yeah. game, and, and it scares teams. Yeah, Looking especially at the with the running ability. And yeah. the other thing as well, I think it helps Kane's game, the way he assisted Marcus, is because I think Marcus Rashford is the most similar player in the England squad to Jung Ling Son. Uh, exactly. I think the way that Kane plays for Tottenham, it would be better suited for him to play like that within the England team, having Bakayo Saka and, of course, Marcus Rashford. I think him dropping in, and it allows the likes of these two wingers to kind of make the inverted runs in behind. And obviously, Kane's got the passing ability to pick both of them out, unlike he did with the Sterling goal. So it yeah, just that, that Sterling finish, like I said, I said what I said, but that Sterling finish was was beautiful. To be fair, with the way he took the goal was amazing, especially when we know that Sterling sometimes misses in front of goal. But let's come come to a player that you you told me you wanted to talk about, the player that stood out in that game, the player that was on the lips of many people after that game, uh, Jude Bellingham. Yeah. What a performance from a very young man. What's, what's scary is that this guy's 19. Now, not many 19-year-olds can dominate a World Cup game like he has. No, no English player has looked that um, effective. Yeah. I want to say dominant. I, I want to say effective. No player has looked that effective at a young age since Wayne Rooney in 2004, in my opinion. No, exactly. And, and I think for me is that he's probably one of the most different uh, you won't find another Jude Bellingham within England in the sense of looking at, looking at his playing style, how he breaks down the player, how he kind of forces players to make mistakes. His little shimmies, drop of the shoulders, his technique 
and just his body his type. height bro yeah his he, height plays a huge he, part he gives me like a, a similar vibe to Paul Pogba in terms of his younger days where he's got uh, like a better touch I feel yeah yeah of course and the thing is how he's reading the game at this age is, is scary because look he's in a Borussia Dortmund side that's probably not the best in current stage but for him to come and show it within the World Cup and kind of take it by a thread and just show look this is what I'm capable of I know a lot of English fans have not been watching me throughout my time in Bundesliga and they just kind of hear the hype within the media or so on. But I think for him to show most fans like this is who I am and at this current age, it's scary. And and the other thing as well is the mentality that he has. You can tell that he is a player who is captain material. Yeah. Uh, he is a future England captain and the He's I saw a very interesting comparison and it's a player that we can't really re- relate to because we didn't see him growing up and it was before our time. But I've seen comparisons to Brian Robson and that is a very, very high praise indeed. He's the only ever English midfielder to, to have a chance at winning a Ballon d'Or. Uh, dominant in the 80s, Captain Marvel. If we have a player in Jude Bellingham that can replicate what Brian Robson was for England and Manchester United in the 80s, what a player he's going to be. And he already is. Uh, and, you know, the, in the game, he, there were some moments where, you know, some of his passes were going wayward. But he always put the effort in to recover. And he's going to get a big move this summer. Yeah. I think the, the price tag is going to be a scary part. The, the, the price tag is going to be upwards of 100. Yeah, 130 probably, I say. After that performance. Ultimately, the clubs that he's been linked with in England ironically both clubs your club and my club both looking for new owners at the moment so it's not out of the window that either club gets a new owner before the end of the season and they put in a humongous bid for him i do think and i hope that he goes to real madrid because i feel when you go to real madrid or the spanish league or what happens is you're assessed differently because you're seen as more prestigious already yeah in a league that is probably less demanding and there's less pressure on you because the eye of the media isn't on you constantly. Uh, and I think going there for him would be incredible, especially when we see the scrutiny that someone like Jaden Sancho has gone through um, when he's moved to, to, to England. So I personally think I want him to go to Real Madrid. If he comes to Man United, I'm not going to be complaining what an amazing player he is. But if I'm him, I'm going to Real Madrid. I think you're right that he deserves a big money move. And... What's scary is that watching him play for England, he kind of shows that character where he's not scared to receive the ball, even when he's under pressure. And he, he doesn't mind turning the players, driving at players. And yeah, I think I was listening to um, uh, an interview between, I think, Sterling. And they asked him who's the three best technical players within the England squad. Number one that he said was Jude Bellingham. Two was Declan Rice. And if you've got the England players... Now, that's a midfield, obviously. That's a midfield too. That that's perfect for England. And, and yeah, and you've just got the likes of the England players kind of gassing you up and like surprised about your quality at this age. It's just like scary times for any team that's going to face Jude Bellingham. Brazil have just hit the bar from thirty for the post. Sorry, from thirty yards. So this game is getting interesting as we're watching. By the way, um, yeah, hundred percent. I think I I, I think he's going to be an absolute star of the next ten years and like you said how young he is he's still you know it's crazy he's still a decade away from his peak i think it's, the, it's absolutely mental like the, the the quality he's gonna have in, in future years he's 
I think after him scoring his goal, he's the first 21st century born player to score in the World Cup. And I think rightly so, man, he deserves it. Yeah, uh, shout out, shout out to Jude and, and may it long continue for him and for England if they have any hope of, of success in this tournament. A lot of other teams kind of won their games and uh, maybe in less impressive form, but so, so, some some good wins on the board for the likes of the Netherlands winning 2-0 with two second half goals. Um, we saw, of course, Portugal earlier today winning 3-2. Uh, with an interesting end to that game, Yanaki Williams a slip away from equalising for Ghana. That was that was a an amazing game. There's been crazy games all World Cup. Uh, some must watch games, even games that finish in nil nil. Tunisia nil nil, but what a game that was! Like some of the nil nils have been incredible as well. Even the low scoring games. But we have to talk about the two major upsets uh, in this in this World Cup, and that is, of course, Argentina versus Saudi Arabia uh, and Germany versus Japan. So let's start with the big one, Argentina versus Saudi Arabia, one of the biggest upsets of all time in World Cup history, not even just for this, just of all time, considering the opposition, considering when they came into the game, what people were saying, Argentina, the favourites to win it, Messi's final World Cup, the expectation, the stadium being full, and then... That second half from Saudi Arabia, the high line, we have to speak about the high line, but the second half from Saudi Arabia, the the way that they went at Argentina, they didn't sit back and got the win that they richly deserved. It wasn't even a, a smash and grab. They deserved the win, didn't they? Yeah, I thought, honestly, Saudi first half were... They showed character within the first half to to stay in the game. I think even the, knowing for well within their high defensive line. Yeah, they stuck to the plan, yeah, didn't they? and they didn't... They didn't get scared and of anything. And Brazil have taken the lead. Richarlison with the, the rebound he scores. So Brazil have taken the lead. And to be fair, from what we've been seeing, they they, they definitely deserve it. They, they've been the better team so far. They've had a lot of chances uh, and, and they've taken the lead, haven't they? But c- carry on your point, Osama, on Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I thought... Yeah, even... I think going to the tournament, they have taken one of the coaches... Of probably not kind of talked about kind Renard, of Afcon legend. Yeah, that's um a, a tournament manager, you could say. I think he's been with the team for three years. He's kind of built the team to how he wants them to play. And I think I went in not expecting anything from Saudi. I thought if they get a draw or anything within one of the three games, they've probably done be- good for themselves. I think the way that they played, uh, I gotta give credit. I gotta give credit to the team. I think. The keeper was spraying passes and he's playing balls from the feet. Oh, I think defenders, Saves at the end of the game from him as well. Yeah, I think even defenders, they stuck to the task and they were dying for the points. Yeah, they the, were that's, jumping in that's for the crucial thing for me. It's the sticking to the game plan. I, because that, that's a sign of a good manager that his players believe so much in his plan that they stick to it throughout the whole game. So that high line, for example... Three goals Argentina scored that were given offside. Three, like one yeah. or twos. Maybe you get nervous, then you start changing it up. No, no, they stuck to the plan and he just got worked better and better every time. Um, and without that, Argentina would have blown away in the first half. But the resilience, like you said, and then the goals in the second half, quality goals. Adosari, yeah. what a finish to, to give them the, the lead. And where do Argentina go from here? Because now, tournament football, you lose your first game, it doesn't. It's not the end of the world. Spain mm. lost their first game in 2010. They won the World Cup. Argentina lost their first game in, in 1990. Still made the final. 
it's not the end of the world them losing the the first game. But I, I would argue that it's come against what the lesser team. on the outside looks as as if it was the easiest team in the group. But losing it means now they are they probably have to beat both, and if not beat both, then get a win and a draw um, against the the other two teams in the group. I think you're right. I think Saudi uh, ranked as the worst team within the whole World Cup, ranked as 51st. And yeah, I think everyone went in not expecting Saudi to even have a sniff. And for Argentina to lose, it would probably go down as the worst or the biggest upset within World Cup history. I think they're playing Mexico next. And looking at how Mexico played against Poland, I thought they were unlucky not to kind of get something more from the game. Yeah. Even though Poland did have a chance with a penalty. And if Mexico go at, uh, go at Argentina the way Saudi did, I think Boy, they they could they could yeah, give them trouble. I think looking at how Argentina played within this tournament, I think what's scary is that teams now are not scared about who they play. Hundred percent, yeah. And for us neutrals, we're there to enjoy the the football that's it being played. Makes it better for us. It makes and it better. Yeah, because they know for what look if we got no one would have thought if side went out against Argentina and put in a performance, they'd get a result. I think now Mexico know that Argentina are weak and they need to prey on their mistakes because. I think the mistakes that happened within Argentina is that the biggest one, they didn't show enough passion. And yeah, I know this word's used a lot, but how do you, like, Saudi knew you already. Yeah, that they, 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 they just didn't, it, it seemed, it seemed like they were complacent to me. Like, they got the first goal from a penalty that I felt was very dubious, but they got the first goal and it was like, oh, okay, we've won this game now. Yeah. And it, they, they just weren't able to, to recover from that point on, onwards. And, like you said, I I do think Poland they, they they probably win that game. Poland didn't show enough in there, and I know they of course had a missed penalty, but I don't feel like they showed me enough in that game to be honest with you. And so I think the Mexico game is the big one, like you said, because Poland plays Saudi next. Now, if Saudi do get a result, that means Saudi are most likely through, and there's more pressure on them too. So I think there is pressure that unnecessary pressure that Argentina have put on themselves and yeah I think it, it's going to be a, a big game for Argentina to win because Mexico know they've got a point Argentina are going to have to throw everything at them all they can do is just counterattack, and they've got the pace and the quality to do so and actually hurt Argentina that that um, that group is a group that a team with four points is probably going to go through in because now you look at Saudi the draw in the other game is, is big for them um all they need is probably uh, two draws and they're through. So the the dynamics of the group are very interesting. So we'll have to see uh, what happens on that one there. Uh, we look forward to that, of course, uh, this coming week. Elsewhere, yesterday, Germany throwing it away in the last 20 minutes to Japan. Shout out to Japan, by the way. The way they never gave up, they carried on going at them. But... Something felt missing from from Germany, like Argentina. Like you said, it was the fact that they just weren't trying. But with Germany, it felt like something more. It felt like there's an element to their yeah. game that was missing. Um, I didn't understand the the idea of playing Sule as a fullback. That didn't make any sense to me. The the lack of the the fact that they didn't play Leroy Sane baffling again to me. Some decisions were strange, but at the same time, they just never looked convincing throughout the game. Like, the game was always there for for Japan to win. Yeah, no, I thought 
you have to give credit to Japan. I think they set up really well. I think the setup knew that they're not going to get enough of the ball. Um, they had men deep, and yeah, I think they they played their football at certain times where they needed to, and they looked for the long ball when they had to within the second half, especially, and it worked. I thought first first half, Japan were really poor. I think the the cage might have got to them, and they've not really kind of got out their first gear where they were just by giving passes away for no apparent reason like when there's no pressure on them. I think second half, whatever the coach said at halftime, they looked like a different team. I think they were more up for it. And yeah, I think they just kind of looked into spaces in behind Germany and kind of, like you said, attacked the fullbacks, especially the side, where they got more joy. And I think him not being an out-and-out right-back could have kind of cost them, depending on Hansi Flick's decision. But I think all credit goes to Japan because they're probably either. What Japan, what Japan have is is a lot of pace, just pace across that front line, and the the lesson I think for the bigger nations now going into games is that if you don't put your if you don't put your opponent away, they're gonna come back at you, um and and we've seen that of course across these two games, the the danger now for Germany is that you miss out on the second round in a World Cup, two World Cups in a row. That's a very dangerous scenario for them, especially with the expectation that they had going into this yeah. this this World Cup that this is a new, younger team but full of quality that can still give a challenge to, to the other top teams. Th- the th- the funny thing now is how all of this would affect the second round with smaller teams maybe going through and so on. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there was kind of pressure on the Germany side especially on Hansi Flick who's kind of done probably a, who's done a really good job at Bayern Munich and they thought okay you know what there's a new fresher look within the German team uh, it's younger they've still got experience within the likes of Ilkay Gundogan um, Kimmich and so on and players that have been to big tournaments and yeah I think the pressure now is massive because they're playing Spain next like we just said and they need to get a result against Spain otherwise it's, it's all out for them and Second World Cup running, they they can't make it out of the group stage. Yeah, uh, they they still have it in them. I think they can beat Spain, of course, but they they need to change the way they set up, in my opinion, for them for them to have a chance at that. the The interesting thing, like I said, now you're gonna have ramifications that affect the the whole the whole World Cup going forward. After match day one of the group stages, yeah, has your favorite for the World Cup changed? My favorite has always been Brazil. Yeah, I think. And, and they right are now. putting in a, quite a dominant display. Serbia how do you have some joy to be fair, but Brazil Brazil are are playing their football and, and they're doing their thing. Yeah, I think it's because they've probably got the most all round team within the whole of the World Cup. I think I think them and Portugal, I would say, are the most complete teams in terms of players. Portugal, in that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think the thing is with Portugal that they've got. Well, the the game today with Portugal kind of maintain. Maintained the position that I had before that, as as good as Cristiano Ronaldo is, and, and shout out to him for scoring. Now the as we saw today, scoring in the fifth consecutive World Cup, the only player to ever do that, a record a record breaking goal for him from that penalty. He was missing a lot of one on one chances. It's the same theme that we've been seeing with Manchester United, and the the thing with him is, I still maintain the belief that he probably does hold them back. I think if you start Joe Felix and Liao, you probably put away Ghana earlier than you did. So, 
I, 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 I get what you're saying. I just don't think they have the manager to do it, bro. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that, that's the only worry is that their manager's more defensive style manager. Uh, he doesn't allow the younger players to kind of flourish or kind of have that flair within the game. And it kind of restricts certain players and how they play. Oh, my God, Richarlison. What an incredible finish. Wow. Richarlison's second finish is a delight. One of the goals of the World Cup, for sure. Brother, what a goal. Wow. The touch, the turn, the pivot. Yeah, wow. as you were saying, favourites, I think they are still the favourites after that goal. And yeah, the vibes man, I've, I've seeming to you, man. absolutely Look, immaculate there. Yeah, the unity within the squad. Shout out, shout out to Abdullah, of course, who recorded the podcast with us. He's right there now in Lusail Stadium. Shout out to Tourist. He's already there as well. What a finish by Richarlison. Oh. And the assist from Vinny as well. A Travella assist to an overhead kick finish by Richarlison. Wow. Oh, that is beautiful, man. That is, that is, see, this is why we love the World Cup. This is why we love Brazil at the World Cup. Yeah, they just got a flair. They're not scared to try anything. Oh, the technique on that to even hit bomb corner. Keeper's not even touching that. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So what, Brazil? Still, yeah? Yeah, I've said it from get-go, man. Like, I've said in the previous podcast, Brazil is my team to go. The fact that this game was a possible banana skin for them, and they've absolutely gone through it without an issue. That Serbia have caused some problems, but Brazil, the better team, 2-0 up with 15 minutes to go, comfortable, uh, incredible performance by them. Uh, for me, like, like you said, bro, I think still the favourites, 100%. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be absolutely fun to see, see uh, them, them flourish. I, I, th- I think this is... What, what teams disappointed you so far that you expected more from uh, other than the obvious upsets that we talked about? I think one that I've, I've got to highlight uh, would probably... Ha- there's, there's a couple I have to say, but uh, there's two that spring to mind. I think one I'd have to say would probably be Belgium. Yeah, that was a weird game from them because they won, but Canada were the better team that game. Yeah, exactly. I think going into that game, everyone expected not an easy game, not a walkover, but uh, a convincing Belgium win. Looking at the game, Canada had 22 shots, three on target, unfortunately, whereas Belgium had nine and three on target. Now, if someone just watched the game as neutral, they they would have thought Canada's a way better team and you wouldn't have regarded Belgium as the number one ranked team in the world. And the missed penalty and so on. Like uh, Canada, Canada, I think really should have, should have won that game, and and they were unlucky not to. And yeah. uh, you're right with Belgium. And you know the point that you pointed out in the preview, their defense, bro, their defense is it's, just too old to yeah, deal it's with. Yeah, defense. And yeah, like Canada have got a lot of pace within the front three, and yeah, they just there's no solution to that defense, unfortunately, unless getting younger players, but. I think Roberto Martinez doesn't want to take the risk. And he, he said it as well um, after the post-match interview that the better team lost. And if Canada, if Belgium don't step up the game, yes, they probably would most likely get through after the group stage looking at the result they got yeah, in yesterday. Yeah, of course, they, they won, so they got but an advantage. Now, the, the other teams, they won't fear them as... They, they've got the, the likes of, obviously, Hazard, Lukaku, De Bruyne, but in this Belgium tie, they just looked bang average. Uh, there was no cohesion, nothing within the team to think these guys could actually uh, compete or even show off as to why they are the number one favorite team, number one ranked team in the world. And it was very, I thought, strange that Trossard didn't start because they looked better when he came on. And he's he's one of their most informed players. We've, we've seen his performances 
uh, in the Premier League for, for Brighton. I really thought he was going to start for them, but he didn't. Um, I think they definitely have some issues. Lukaku, of course, still has to come back from this weird injury that he's got. Well, apparently, he will be back by the end of the group stage, so that that's still a question. Um, I want to just go back to England. I think that they have a question mark for me. And it's something that I raised in the preview. Yeah. And we talked about the injury proneness of their strikers. And Harry Kane has had a scan and so on on an apparent potential injury. Now, hopefully it's nothing serious and, and he, he kind of gets the all clear. But we highlighted it, Osama, didn't we? Taking two strikers only. They're both injury prone. Could come back and bite you. And we've seen it there. Harry Kane going down in a challenge. Cal Wilson's and we know Cal Wilson isn't reliable as well. I think that's that's one one problem, and I can't. I've got a feeling that if that happens, he's going to put Rashford as a striker, and Rashford as a striker is not as good as Rashford as a winger. And of course, that's the only question mark for me with England, to be honest with you. So, the, the f- it's it's kind of difficult to kind of make an assessment or judge teams within the first round of the World Cup. I think sometimes the pressure gets to certain players, nerves, uh, and yeah, like you expect certain teams to kind of go out there and dominant, uh, dominate. And I think I've got to give a, a shout out to France. I think they've had they did their seven, job, didn't they? Seven or eight plays that got injured, and another one in that game. Yeah, and now Lucas Hernandez D- doing an ACL. The weird thing with that is a lot of people would have said that Theo Hernandez probably should have started, he and have started, when he he came on, they looked ten times better. Of course, he got the assist for the opener as well. So I don't want to say it was a blessing in disguise because you never want to see a player get injured, but. They they definitely when Theo came on they they looked very very good like yeah. they looked like they were going to be a force to reckon with and I think the Giroud Mbappe partnership of course we want to see Benzema the Ballon d'Or winner at the World Cup but that partnership works very well for them because they're very different types of strikers aren't they Yeah I think Kiz has worked within the past in the previous World Cup and it kind of had its success there this kind of shows that Mbappe is used to Giroud's hold the play. Um, allowing him to kind of attack the centre-backs and use his physicality and presence to win headers, knock it down, allow others to get into play. And Mbappe is just there to run in behind, kind of their flair and the star boy to show off the attacking threat of him, Giroud and Griezmann. So yeah, I think they've done really well looking at... They were expected to win against Australia, like we all know that. But I think going into a World Cup where eight or nine key players that would have played for them. Um, it kind of goes to show that they're not even scared or they've just brushed it under the carpet. And so it's going to be really good to see who is going to come up against them and kind of give them a bigger challenge. Yeah, we we, we, we look forward to seeing that, of course. And guys, a shorter episode today um, because, of course, uh, the first of our, our series of the Doha Diaries, we'll be bringing them to you weekly, of course, as we go through the World Cup after every match day. I hope that Qatar can give us a better performance tomorrow. I think nerves got the better of them in the first game. Hopefully we can see a better performance from them tomorrow. Sama, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me as always for this episode of the Doha Diaries on Two House Media. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure as usual. And thank you guys for listening. We look forward to you joining us. Until then, keep it locked. <laughs>